0: Please be seated. And the church said, Keith, thank you. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for being the great I Am. We praise your name for who you are, and for the privilege that we have to be called your children. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Then in John chapter 7, as Jesus goes to the feast of tabernacles as that being the backdrop in chapter 8 verse 12 as he is looking over the people and he sees in the courts there the candelabras that are just I mean just ringing forth with so much light Jesus speaks again to the people and he says I am the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but would have light of life. And so as they're seeing those bright lights and they're seeing how it's just radiating that area, I love the fact that Jesus speaks to that and he says, I am the light of the world. And when you follow the light, he says, you find life and then in john chapter 10 where we'll be this morning verse 7 therefore jesus said again i tell you the truth i am the gate for the sheep and verse 9 i am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved he will come in and go out and find pastor pastor That's the third of the seven I am declarations that Jesus will make throughout his gospel. And one of the things that we're seeing thus far as he's making these declarations, as he's making these statements, what we see in these statements is the fact that the mission of Jesus is unique. The declaration that Jesus says, I am, has a purpose for our life. And so these I am statements, here's the one thing that they help us with. They help us understand who Jesus is. Every day of life, shouldn't we have on our minds, and shouldn't we have it as a goal that we just want to know more about Jesus? I mean, Elton, thank you for reminding us this morning as we're gathered around the table that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer. Everything begins and it ends with Jesus. Now, I want you to look around this room for a moment. And I don't want you to really look at each other. I want you to notice in this room There are ten doors. There are six that allow you to come into this room and will allow you to go out here in a little bit, unless some of you want to leave right now, some of you do that. You come in and you go out. We also have two on either side doors. You count those, you have ten doors. There are all kinds of doors in the world we live in. Have you noticed that? I mean, a lot of times we don't notice it because we're so used to it, right? And some of them are locked, some of them aren't. We have garage doors that sometimes work, sometimes don't. We have house doors, I mean all over our house, right? We have bathroom doors, we have closet doors, we have wooden doors, glass doors, plastic doors. We have doors that are hollow, doors that are just as solid as a rock. Some doors are massive, some are small, but every door has a purpose. It's to close off an entrance, it's to block an opening, and in many cases, it's to keep people out. Now, a few weeks ago, this door right back here on the back to my right, somebody during the week thought, you know, it would be kind of cool to break in this place, and so They started trying to break in that door only to find, man, this door's pretty solid. And so you could tell by their feet marks that they tried kicking it however many times. And then it looked like they got a pry bar and tried to pry it open. And they bent it a little bit, but not much. But they did enough damage and I guess they were so mad that it was locked and they couldn't get in that the bid to get that door fixed is some sixteen hundred dollars isn't that crazy? but we've got to get it fixed and so if you sit over here and you walk out that way and you see the orange uh, bungee cord thing it's there to kind of keep that door jarred shut so please jump over to be careful Uh, when you're leaving but isn't it amazing sometimes when you see a door shut for a purpose we just we're the kind of people we can't take it we want to know what's on the other side and we'll go to all odds to open it up won't we now sometimes in scripture you see a lot of different purposes for a door I want to show you Uh, a couple of those in scripture I want to start in Job 31 an open door was a metaphor for hospitality to strangers so in Job we see this no stranger had to spend the night in the street for my door was always open to the traveler man I mean we wouldn't dare do that today would we Now, in Psalm 141, verse 3, here's an example of a door being an expression for even what we let in and out of our lives. It says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. I'll just go ahead and say all of us need to be on guard for that every day, right? Because there are... So many opportunities that we have to say something that's going to benefit somebody or to say something where we say, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have said that. And then in Revelation chapter 3, as Jesus is speaking uh, through John uh, to the church in Philadelphia, a door represents a lot of opportunities. Jesus says this, he says, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And then during the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12, you remember that blood was used to mark the doors of the people so they would escape death. And there in Exodus 12, it says, Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. And And not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. And then I want to show you another kind of door in Exodus chapter 27. This is a gate that barred the way into the tabernacle of God. And I mean it was so precise here. If you look at the tabernacle here, there's a couple of pictures here that I wanted to show you. It's a structure that sat inside a large courtyard. And this would serve as the worship center for the people of Israel for some 647 years. And then at that point it was replaced in the days of King Solomon with a magnificent temple. But for 640-something for years, God's people worshipped at this tent. And when you look at Exodus chapter 27, what you begin to realize as you see the description about the courtyard, this tent had a very specific purpose. It wasn't just your normal, everyday tent that you would set up. It was a divine sanctuary that was built for the people of God. And every dimension had to be precise. In fact, it had to be so precise, every item had to have a speck. If you look over in Exodus chapter 35, God selected what we would call today a general contractor to make sure they were following the blueprints, to make sure they were following it just speck by spec because it had to be right, and that guy's name was Bezalel. And I mean, he, he was a smart dude. And you know why? He didn't go to a trade school or a university like we have today to get an engineering degree. He got his instructions from God. That's a pretty important thing that says, you know, you better listen up and you better follow these specs because everything had a purpose for it and so the reason that everything had to be precise was because through that tent God was declaring some truths that needed to be shared with his people in other words there were deep spiritual truths about what it meant to live in the presence of of God you know have we come so far as God's people that we have missed the mark on that have we come so far as God's people that we have forgotten that all through scripture this is a story folks and what we see in this story is the fact that God longs to be with his people He longs to be with you. No matter what you go through, no matter what you're suffering, no matter what your victories are, God wants to be not just a part of it, God wants to be at the center of it all the time. And so as there's heavenly truths to be communicated, my prayer every day as his children is that we can grow closer to him and the way that we do that we have to keep in step with his will we have to keep in step and his spirit allows us to do that his spirit guides us closer to the father that's why he left the spirit for us in the first place because he knew my people are human they cannot make it on their own and so he placed his spirit that lives inside of us It doesn't just work through the Word, it works in and through our very life. Aren't you glad to know that everywhere you go, everything you say, even before you say it, God's Spirit is living right there to guide you through it. There are heavenly truths that need to be communicated to His people. And so, as I looked at all of this, I couldn't help but think about our own lives and so I want to ask you this morning what is your relationship with God like you see back in this time in this culture the pagan gods were displayed as living off by themselves I mean they would take residence up in a forest or on a mountainside they would take residence somewhere where it was secluded They would even set up their own place of worship where it was away from everybody else because they didn't want to be around them. And so a lot of times what you would see is their relationship with their little gods had nothing to do with love, but it had everything to do with convenience. Do we not realize that a god, a little foreign god, that's the purpose of it? The purpose is for it to draw us, as God's children, away from Almighty God. It's to draw our attention away from the great I Am. And so when we're drawn away from the great I Am, guess what? Whatever it is that's drawing you, it's out of convenience. It's out of a way just to get you to get your focus off of Almighty God onto something else. And the lie that Satan feeds us is, this other God over here, it's going to help you. It's going to make you succeed. It's going to make you feel good. And it's going to make you, you fill in the blank. All along, Satan's feeding us a lie. Because you know what it does? It's just drawing us farther and farther away from Almighty God. Think about it. We just sang the song this morning, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they are new, how often? Every morning. You bow down to a God of convenience, You're not going to find that. But you bow down to the God who has created you and who longs to be with you, who longs to be in your presence. Guess what? That's the God of love. And that's the relationship that he seeks. And so with His tabernacle, God is telling his people, I want to spend time with you. And not only do I want to spend time with you, I want to live with you. And not only do I want to spend time with you and live with you, but I want to be the center of your world. I want to be the center of your life. Now my question this morning is, if God is not at the center of your life, who is And if the answer to that is anybody but God you're serving something out of convenience not love. And the message that God has for us is this. You need to get rid of that because you might think it's bringing you closer to me but in essence it's really just driving you farther away. And so when the people would come and they would gather around this tabernacle, it was there to teach this one reality. And it's this we sin, and that sin separates us from God. Hasn't sin always separated us from a holy God? Yes. And so wouldn't it be important for us to come face to face and to realize that? If God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me, and through that, if he's saying, I want to be the center of your world and I want to live with you, it would seem to me that as his children, we would do everything that we need to do to separate ourselves from that sin and to draw closer to God. And so, when they found themselves around the tabernacle, there was this fenced in area, rectangular curtained area. It was made of fine twined white linen, about eight feet tall. And this nearly white curtain stood before the eyes of the people to symbolize the purity of God. But when you got real close, and you saw that curtain, you noticed something. You noticed that it was full of holes, like eyelet holes, so that even though they kept people from entering in, they might kind of peek in and see what's going on. Now, why would God want you to do that? You see, the tabernacle's primary function was to serve as a place to offer sacrifice for your sins. And so, When you sinned, the law required that you bring the animal and you take it through the gate to the north side of the altar and you would stand there as the offerer would place his hand on the animal symbolically transferring sin from you to the animal. Well, we look at that today and we say, that poor animal. To which I look at it and say, that poor person having to take an animal to do that. But God had a purpose. God had a plan. Praise God, through his plan, the way to take care of all of that now, going back to what Elton reminded us of around the table this morning, the answer is Jesus The answer is Jesus. And so you think about it. When you sin, when I sin, I don't have to go get my favorite animal. I just come before a holy God. And he takes care of that. He takes care of it in such a way that it's once... And for all. And so I want you to find your way back to John, John's Gospel. And I want you to look in John chapter 1 before we look in John 10. In John chapter 1, verse 14. As the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh, that's Jesus, and he, here's the word, he tabernacled among us. That means to dwell. And so Jesus came down so that God could dwell in our midst. And through Jesus, we are now allowed to come into the presence of God. That is a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful, not just statement, that's a beautiful truth that needs to be lived out and celebrated among the people of God. Amen? And so in John chapter 10, with all of that as the backdrop, listen to these words. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd Because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech. But they did not understand what he was telling them. And so he speaks again and he says. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. And all who ever came before me. They were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. And whoever enters through me will be saved, and he will come in and go out and find pastor. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, when you look at this passage, the emphasis so often that we like to talk about is the warning about the thieves. And how Satan, has three purposes, kill, steal, and destroy. That's a fact. That's the truth. Jesus said that. He says, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. So the emphasis here shouldn't be a warning about thieves, but it should be a celebration of God through the person of Jesus Because he looks to the people a second time when they don't really understand it, they don't really get it, and he says, I'm the gate. All of these things that I'm describing to you, that's me. And because I'm the gate, I'm going to allow you to come in and go out and find pastor. So church, do you see this? With Jesus, there is freedom. We've been set free. But not to live the way we want, but to live the way that Jesus has instructed us as his children to live. And there's a big difference in that. But I think sometimes as his people what we miss is even when we come to him and live with him and live under his lordship, there's freedom in that. There's so much freedom in that because, again, the relationship... Is based on love and not convenience. If you haven't heard anything else, understand that this morning. The relationship that you share with Jesus Christ should be one out of love, not just sheer convenience. It's convenient when we just go to Him when we want. You remember I dream of Jeannie? Jeannie? You would rub the lamp and then who would appear? Jeannie would appear and she would say, you have three wishes. And we would, you know, the people would long to wish for something. We don't have to do that when we serve and have a relationship with Christ out of love. It doesn't work that way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And so all through Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the story is simply this. God longs to be in the presence of his people. And in return, he longs for his children to be in presence with him. If we're not, we've got some soul-searching to do. If God is not at the center of your life, if he's not the center of your heart, you've got some soul-searching to do. May we do that. And may we pray and praise God daily that he sent his son Jesus to rescue us and not just to rescue us but to say I long to be in your presence and I want to have a relationship with you what's your relationship with God like as we stand to sing an invitation song this morning I want you to think about that if it's just a relationship where you just come and go and and you just look to him when it's convenient for you, that's really not what he wants. He wants to be Lord of your life every day. And not just a part of your life, he wants to be Lord of your life. What's your relationship with him like? Think about that this morning. And some may need to respond to put them on in baptism some may need to respond to just say i want to be closer to god and allow this church family to pray with you maybe there's an individual here that you want to seek out to pray with you i don't know but i know this we stand ready to help in any way that we can and we want to do that right now as we stand and as we